1: Equity of up to 150 million pounds.
0: You're not here to have fun, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this
1: gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize a different Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. It is episode 109. It is a hell of a day to talk Spurs. We have got a London Derby victory over Chelsea to discuss. I've got three of my favorite friends to do it alongside with. We'll start by throwing it out to the Todd Father himself. He is at TC underscore on your Twitters. He is number one in your hearts and minds tc what's up man
2: any day my friends that you can uh you can talk about beating the shit out of those chabby assholes is a good fucking day i couldn't be happier i couldn't be happier skippy with a fucking banger h filling it up as usual that was a classic harry kane back post goal oh my god it was glorious stellini still the gold man for for those who appreciate a bit, Spursy Pod, like absolutely fantastic day to be Tottenham. Andrew
1: Scott is also with us. He is at DSM Spurs. Scott, what's up, man?
3: Not much, man. Great fucking day. Chelsea is shit. Um, yeah, let's get into it.
1: That's all he's got, Scott. Scott's Scott's just going to be here to tell to remind us all that Chelsea is shit and we shouldn't be too excited about this. And I'm going to fight him on that. Uh, oh. and, and we'll, 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 we'll get into that as well. <clears throat> Caroline is also with us, at CG Stefco on the Twitters. Kaz, what's up with you? You're, you, you, you had a, a hell of a day watching, what, three or four of your teams? I don't know how many teams you have now, but I, I know that most of them were at least successful, right?
0: Well, I was only able to watch two out of three because the Spurs-Women game was sadly not streamed. Unbelievable. Uh, I am I am upset about. I'm also upset about the result, but we'll get to that later. But otherwise, it was a really good day of football.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Bayern, I, I turned on that Bayern Union match and was like, what the hell's going on in Munich? It is thunder it's like thunder snowing. It was insane. Uh, but that is for another podcast to discuss. The weather the weather was insane in that match, uh, but it was at least picturesque. So that was cool. Uh not how looked Hall.
0: really cozy. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> everybody looked nice and nice and cozy and warm in that match. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur to Chelsea nil and guys I, I don't know what to say about this game other than it didn't even feel that close um, this felt like a comfortable ass beating in the similar way that Tottenham Hotspur beating West Ham did last week and I guess I just don't really know what to do with my hands because Spurs winning these London derbies in comfortable fashion without with, with the lack of depth that they have and the lack of manager on the touchline is still, still resting hopefully comfortably in Italy. Um, I just Todd, what the hell's going on around here?
2: Uh, We're winning the games that we should win. Shout to the gaffer. Hope he's, he's recouping and and finding health. Um, Shout to Stellini for being a fucking legend and still undefeated on the touchline in the gaffer's absence. Um, And shout to the players for recognizing that the next man up uh mr ollie skip needs to be that guy um shout to uh honestly a a cohesive unit if you listen to the um kind of broadcast feedback towards the end when all of the pundits were lamenting how shit chelsea were um, you know, they were talking about them in contrast to Spurs, saying that Chelsea's just a bunch of 11 players out there and Spurs is a cohesive unit and finding all of the. I mean, oh, how the tables have turned, Andrew. But uh, what I would say is that we're starting to round into form about the same time that we started to round into form last season. And when you look at the fixtures down the stretch, it was these two matches back to back. And then we've got another hiccup again where they give us like three games in the course of a week. It's like four days or whatever tells us to go fuck ourselves. Um, But other than that, like we're looking pretty solid down the stretch to win some decent amount of games. We're hitting our stride.
1: Scott, did, did the lack of, of changes uh, in this lineup surprise you at all? Because I'll be honest, I was a little surprised that Youngman min Son spent a second straight game starting on the bench. I was a little surprised, although not disappointed, that Ben Davis was once again this team's left wing back instead of Ivan Perisic. And I was even a little surprised, honestly, that Emerson Royale continued to play over the January signing Pedro Porro. Um, uh, although, again, not disappointed because once again, Emerson Royale, is just shoving it up all of our asses and telling us, um, you know, I'm I'm that dude. I am him. Uh, He has been incredible and turned in another incredible performance. But were you surprised at all that, that this was the same exact lineup that Spurs ran up uh, a week prior?
3: I honestly wasn't surprised at all, and I think it just goes back to our conversation last week. We're at that point in the year where, you play your most informal 11 unless one of them is incapable of playing from a fitness perspective, right? And we beat the shit out of West Ham. We had a week to recover. No reason to make any changes at all, especially with Conte not around. So I think it, it, I wasn't surprised, and I think it was a great move. Um, yeah, more than anything, it probably makes Delaney's life easier, right? Um, but as we talked about last week, too, we got a game at midweek, so I would highly assume the same 11 is not put out you know, at midweek. And it's important to note that feeling confident that an unchanged lineup was correct was because we had a, a week's rest in between
2: matches, for sure. Well, they also did us a giant favor, Andrew, by starting Z H to give Davies the opportunity to not get his ass beat by unpaced. Didn't they spend 100 million euro on some clown to play on the right? Anyway, um, just saying... Uh, the, the, it was a favorable matchup for us to trot out the same lineup to be fair.
1: Well, they also had a lot of clowns that were hurt or unavailable for, for whatever reason. Um, that's a, that's a, I I will, I will take this one. Scott pointed out that Chelsea are terrible and Chelsea. Yes. Are terrible. They are a, a completely different side from the one that we saw. What was that second game of the season? in that uh, clash of the Titans of, of Conte and Tuchel. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's that team was even better than this one. And it, it really does kind of make that draw look. It doesn't make it look worse. Don't get me wrong, but this team is bad. And Spurs proved that today by beating their ass. Um, I'm, I'm really curious though about this whole rotation thing, because as Scott mentioned, we're, we're talking about the fact that there are going to be midweek games coming up this week, Sheffield United in the FA cup next week, AC Milan in the champions league with premier league games uh, on the weekends, bookending them. And then we know that March and April, the fixtures are going to be, you know, as they say, thick and fast. So I'm curious, Caroline, what do you think about this lineup right now? And I specifically want to know what you think about these wingbacks because Look, everybody knows I love me some Ben Davis at the left wing back spot. That, yeah, that, that is something that 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 gets my engines revving. Um, but I don't know for sure that Clement Longley is long for the left center back spot week in, week out. I think that it's weird that we all of a sudden have Ben Davis looking like he could be the first choice guy in two different positions on this team. That's very, very strange to me. Shout out to our guy, Knickerbacker, who pointed that out on Twitter. Like There is... There is a lot going on right now with these wingbacks. Where do you see all of this kind of shaking out? Because really, there's only three guys for two spots with the injury situation right now.
0: Right. Some of it is, you know, forced changes, um, having Ben come into that left wingback spot. But it's kind of like Scott said with the lineup in general. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, And Ben and Emerson Royale both, I think, have not done anything over the last two games to lose their spot currently um and we know that Perisic is starting to have some fitness concerns so perhaps utilizing him as more of a you know impact sub off the bench is a better option anyway uh, as far as Longley goes I'm not fully convinced by him either but I think the fact that Davis is so defensively strong kind of covers some of his deficiencies Longley's deficiencies that is um So I don't know. I think for right now, it's working pretty well. And it did help that we had that full week to recover between games. We might have to start doing some rotation, even though we don't have a whole lot of options in certain positions, um, but just where we can to keep everybody fresh. Because I feel like we're, you know, one or two injuries away from being in a really bad spot. Um, And I don't want us to get to that point. So... The, the yeah. thing, if I can just bring up something random, the, the thing about these last few games that's really interesting to me is the Stellini factor because he, he just keeps refusing to take credit, <laughs> which I find fascinating. Um, because I do, you know, there's this question of how much <clears throat> influence is he actually getting to exert? How much of it is just Conte dictating from afar? Um, And, you know, we won't necessarily know until Conte gets back. But I mean, he's just done done a really great job as far as I can see. And I, I I, I just like the way we've been playing. And it's going to be interesting to see when Conte comes back, if we retreat back into that sort of conservative mindset. Um, of not playing on the front foot. Cause I feel like we have been.
2: I absolutely, I absolutely love that point. That is such a great point, Kaz. I was thinking very much the same thing. Timing is everything, right? And in and, and a manager and a football match is very much like a, like a conductor of a symphony, right? And not, you can have the same exact same symphony playing the exact same piece of music. But if you have a different conductor, the piece is going to sound different. And the Stellini factor, I agree, cannot be overlooked. I think that the timing of the way that he is doing what he is doing has been fantastic. Working back to front. I think what I appreciate about Ben Davies that I struggled with in the past is that Ben Davies as a left wing back is actually really fun to watch. We've only seen primarily Ben Davies as either a left center back or a left back Ben Davies as a left wing back is something that we haven't seen a ton. And it's really fun to watch. I, I remember them stretching. I think it was Hoybier stretched the field with a pass and to see Ben Davies being the one to get to the touchline, to send it back in was really cool to see. Um, I think the reason why he got an, a, a second start is because of not what he does, but it's what um, Parisich doesn't do. And that is play defense. And when you play Chelsea and when you play when you're matched up against somebody like Ziyech, you gotta play some fucking defense. And leaving, you know, being a little lazy on closing out the, you know, the inside lane is what leads to Ziyech banging one into the top fucking corner. And so I wanna give a a, a shout to Stellini and Conte and Ben Davies specifically for doing exactly What I know Yvonne Perisic couldn't do over the course of the 80 minutes that Ziyech played, or however long, and that is shut him down. And that was fantastic to see today.
1: Do we want to pause here and talk about Ziyech because his name has come up and I feel like we should at least address it because this was bullshit. There was a lot of bullshit going on in this game uh, with yellow cards, red cards, VAR. Um, I... I don't understand what the hell happened in this match, but it has to stop. It has to be figured out. If we have video assistant referee in the Premier League, it needs to be utilized and it needs to be utilized more more not only more concisely and and quickly. We can't be waiting 4 or 5 minutes to hand out a yellow card and then waiting another few minutes to review it and rescind it uh or or hand out red cards and rescind it. it this was about the biggest officiating calamity that i've ever seen and i've seen a lot of them specifically involving this football club that we all love so near and dear like what in the ever loving hell happened in this game
3: i don't i think the only thing and i one of you guys in the chat may have pointed it out or maybe it was in, in another group chat, yeah, but somebody pointed out that the only thing that could have happened is that the ref must have thought someone else clipped. Richard, was it Richarlison who got clipped? Well, that was that was Some, me.
1: I pointed out that yeah, it was... Yeah, you he, said because, that. Thanks. Because he gave, out Kai, he gave Kai Havertz a yellow and then turned around and gave Emerson a yellow and then gave mm-hmm. Kai Havertz a red card, or excuse me, Ziyech a red card and then rescinded it to a yellow. He must have thought Havertz made the initial challenge, which was a bookable mm-hmm. offense. Because honestly, yep. I have no idea how or why Kai Havertz got a yellow for anything that happened in this entire. Yeah, situation. if that's
3: not what happened, sorry to interrupt you, but if that's not what happened, then that referee should be dismissed from their role. Like you can't, you can't, you within the laws of the game. I, you, you actually can. We have heard now through like this this phantom term of negligence rescind rescind a card right in that situation no one knows what the fuck that means but ultimately that's the only way that you can explain how this logically could have taken place um it would have to be stopped and rectified immediately if that were not the case right and then and then after the fact they realized that they handed out the card to havertz and it was too too late. The the game had been had, had played on at that point, right? That's the only thing that could have happened here. But,
2: um, there's no other explanation. But I mean, he either went hands to the face or he didn't, Andrew. And he clearly right. did. And that's and that's a red card. Exactly. That's that, that's a red card offense. I don't know why we're having a discussion further than that.
1: Yeah, no, there, there is a discussion about should it have been two yellows? Yeah. Yes, yes. The answer to that is yes. But also, should it have just been a straight red? also yes so we're talking about we're talking about like three different yellow card offenses at the very least here we're talking about some fucking
2: bullshit Cass.
0: well and can i just say um i have been studying the rule book fairly closely because of a incident involving the women's team which i'm sure we get on to later we can we can talk Um, about that as well yeah we don't have var and wsl so that complicates things but anyway The point is, you know, contact to the face when there was no, uh, it was not a a situation where an attempt at the ball was being made. Like it's a red, it's not complicated. And the thing that was really strange to me about this specific situation is that it looked like, um, I think it was Atwell was the ref today, right? He was consulting with either one of the sideline refs or the fourth official. And it was after that that he took out the red. So my question is, why is VAR overruling, you know, two, two officials on the pitch? And I know, I know they're not overruling because ultimately no, but the are. head official still has to make the decision. But it, it, I feel like it was bad guidance. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, it, the decision should have stood because this fourth official or, or whoever it was clearly advised Atwell, you know, about something that he had seen. And if Atwell felt comfortable in the moment giving the red in conjunction with that advice, I just don't see why it was overturned. Doesn't make sense. And you know, it's gonna be another of those situations where the FA comes out and says after the fact, hey, we're sorry, we got it wrong. Luckily it didn't affect the game in this case, but we know there have been games recently where it really did. So
2: I don't even think the FA is gonna come out and say that. I think what we saw is what we always see, Andrew, and I'm not gonna go there, but what I am gonna say is that It's rare to see VAR make a wild fucking decision that goes in favor of Tottenham Hotspur. That's all I'm going to say. Lucas Moore, handball off his shoulder while he's on the ground.
1: That's all I'm going to say. I had a lengthy discussion last week with a former Major League Baseball umpire, and I know a lot of you who don't follow baseball or don't care about baseball are going to say, who the hell cares? What does that have to do with, with this incident? Well, it, it's interesting because Major League Baseball implemented replay a few years ago. And they do it in a very interesting way where they have a headquarters similar to what they have in the Premier League. But they have a specific crew of, of umpires that does all of their centralized replay for all the games on a given day or night. And those decisions that they make in the replay center end up being final they make the decision that can overturn the decision of an umpire at a game and in all honesty if the, if if the premier league is going to make this work they need to have the gumption to have some uh, some system like that set up rather than saying well we think you should go take a look at that on the monitor and i know that in mls they do a similar thing they 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 will sometimes kick it back to an official at the stadium and say, go look at the monitor and see if you want to overchange your own call. But guess what is going to happen there? A lot of times, an official that makes a call in the moment is not going to have the wherewithal to change his own call. Or if he is, he's going to feel pressured by being told he should go to the monitor to therefore change that call. It puts the official in a very, very uncomfortable position. And, he, and this umpire that I spoke with last week was baffled that that's how they do it. In soccer, And I am too, because they need to just have some authority and say, we are the replay officials. We are the quote unquote voice of God here looking over all of these matches and deciding, no, this is what we saw on the replay. And we have definitive evidence that this can be a changed call.
2: Okay. So my biggest issue in Kaz, I want to hear exactly what you have to say on this, but this is my biggest issue is because what you said there holds weight. And that is they can essentially overrule the decision on the field no matter what their decision is final and that's what we see in Premier League especially in Tottenham matches just saying on a lot of occasions where it's like I'm sorry it's just off sides I don't know what to tell you I can still see that guy's fucking face Kaz you know what I'm talking about it's just off sides I and I honest to goodness Andrew what this boils down to and nobody wants to talk about it is that VAR has the ability to make Narrative affirming decisions. Just saying that, and that's where we're gonna leave it. But just please understand that this is baffling to no one if you're actually paying attention to what's going on.
3: I I I look at this as a microcosm of something Todd has brought up right before, which is that English football wants an order, right? They have their top six and they don't want that shit disrupted and everybody knows city is going to win the league and it's weird if they don't. And just like, it's, it's all fucked up anyways. And this is just, you know, a microcosm of, 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 you know, the, the greater, which is that things are supposed to be the way they are. And VAR can even have a subconscious bias towards that. Right. We see, we see it. We do, but I'll, I'll end this conversation by, by saying this, we beat the shit out of them with fucking 11 players. So who gives a shit? Fuck Chelsea. And as much as I don't Fuck hate Chelsea. to just paint negative pictures on, on any other person or entity at all, right, due to sporting rivalry, I will take a second to talk about how fucking shit Chelsea is, right? We all know their situation, and, and I hate that there was people' lives that were impacted by the whole Roman Abramovich situation, right? We moved on from that. Todd Bailey comes in. The dude doesn't know a fucking lick about soccer, period. Just has money to play with. Dude's playing football manager.
2: 100% the amount of its 700
3: million pounds dude, he doesn't know it's literally just like some one of my buddies that barely knows a fucking thing about this sport buying a the team right and and running with it the, the the talent they bought is not worth its value and none of them have played him for years some of them have right but none of them have played him the, the dude they bought for 80 million is has been good in the Ukrainian league for like a year like what the fuck I'm sorry, but that club is in shambles. And yes, we played very well today. I'm not taking anything away from us when I say that. I really, really mean that, especially under Cellini. Holy shit, we look so good. But Chelsea is fucked. And they are in a tough spot as an organization. You cannot buy that many players, bring them in. It's, it's literally like throwing together a, a team for a charity match at this point and telling them to go and play, right? It's just, it's clearly not going to work for them. And... Another another reason to point out why I feel strongly that, yes, Enik isn't perfect, but they have built us something sustainable. And I do appreciate that. Right. Because Chelsea has money, but they are not going. Sure, they can sustain that 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 cash. flow. that's not my point here. Right. Their, their talent or, or their product on the field is not sustainable. Uh, and And I appreciate that ours is.
1: But here's the interesting thing, too, though. If we're talking about narratives, isn't the narrative that Chelsea are kind of a dumpster fire right now an interesting narrative for the Premier League? Like That's why I, I can't fully buy into... It's a 700
2: million the... pound narrative, Andrew. So it's interesting because it's calamitous, but right. not, they're because, not they're because They're hardly good. talking about it, though.
3: They're hardly well, talking, we're talking about, about it. it.
2: We're, be ta- we're talking about it because they won a Champions League with an no, American... No, no,
3: no. My point by saying that is, like, to Andrew it's towards like the premier league doesn't want to talk about it they don't want to talk about how fuck chelsea is right now right because well no, no because there's order. still
2: as much money scotty if chelsea was again? calamitous and they were going and they were going into to administration we're having a different conversation altogether. but chelsea being calamitous and spending 700 million pounds is great fucking viewing for people who aren't chelsea fans
3: Well, yeah, the the league, of course, loves that, but they don't want to talk about how poorly they are with the amount of money that that they've spent, is my point, right? The league doesn't want to talk about that. We do.
0: You know, the problem is that Chelsea, this is not, like, necessarily unusual. I mean, I think this extreme level of spending is new, but they've always kind of had those, like, cycles of, you know, very rapid rebuilding because they have the resources to do that. So they're going to be fine within a couple of years. Like we all know that's going to happen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the other shoe drops with the whole city financial fair play charges. And, you know, is that something that Chelsea's going to be considered um, for sometime down the line? But I think I t- just to tie it back into Spurs, you know, Scott, I think you're totally right to say Chelsea are terrible right now. So is it that great that we beat them? Just 2 0. And you could kind of say the same for West Ham. They're not at the level they've been the past couple of seasons. And, you know, I would say we beat both of these teams comfortably, but it was still, you know, 2 0. A derby's but a derby, Scott. And you're the. For- well, that's exactly what I was going to say, Todd. These are yeah. derby games. And these are games that typically we, we struggle with on a mentality level.
2: It's the first time we've scored a goal against Chelsea in the new stadium.
1: Yeah. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's always yes. You do want to beat West Ham. You do want to beat Chelsea. You don't want to, you know, mess around with those matches. You want to beat them 2-0. You want to beat them 12-0. I don't care.
0: Yeah. I just think it, it kind of ties back into what I was talking about earlier with Stellini. It feels like the players just feel a freedom to play their game and are not overthinking everything the way that they sometimes tend to do under Conte. I think, you know, son, especially he didn't get a ton of game time today, but I think the mood overall with the team is, is kind of in the same direction.
1: It is very strange that the Stellini situation, and I'm glad that you bring it up, but it's also one that I am, I'm still going to claim small sample size on, and I'm still going to just, I'm, 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 I'm almost holding my breath a little bit on this because I, I am certainly not rooting for Antonio Conte to return to this club and all of a sudden for the, the buttholes to pucker and for this team to go back up into its shell. I don't want that, obviously. And I'm not saying that you do either. But if that happens, I, it it is amazing fodder and amazing. Like, it's it's the old Darren Ravel tweet bit. Like, I, I feel bad for our team, but this is tremendous content because that would be something.
0: Well... Speaking of tremendous content, you know, his still press conference after the game had kind of an interesting quote, because he basically said the players were like teenagers who needed to mature. I'm paraphrasing, but words to that effect. And so it kind of begs the question of why weren't they doing that maturing under Conte? So it's kind of setting up this interesting, I don't want to say conflict, but, you know. Well and and Antonio is interesting.
1: <laughs> I, I think Antonio Conte is also doing a very good job of giving credit to his staff. He he's he's posting on Instagram things like congratulations to them and that, that they're doing a great job. And and they are. I mean, it has to be it has to be difficult to be not only Christian Stellini put in this spot where you have to take over a club, but also you're not really fully in charge. You are getting orders but also giving orders you're you're that that weird middleman but it also has to be really hard for antonio conte to be in the spot that he's in and he's not trying to overmanage from afar but he still has to have his imprint on this club in some way somehow and there's just a lot of moving pieces here that i don't know it's it's awkward but it's working right now at least in the in the micro um we'll have to see what it looks like in the macro
3: I, I definitely understand why you are holding your breath, and I think it's in the, the it all meets in the middle, and I'll get to that. But I, Conte, we, th- there are four tangible things that we're seeing under Stellini that I don't see as much under Conte. If I go back and watch film, it's there. We but I talked about it in the last show, and it's the off-ball movement, interlap, overchange, and the press. Those things are. Clearly better now, under, without content. That tells me that there's more confidence because guys want the ball. The, you only do those things better because you want the ball at your feet, right? It's confidence. You, you if you're confident, you want the ball. If you're unconfident, you don't want the ball. I've, we've all lived it if you played soccer, right? So, for some reason, they're more confident now. That has to that has to be taken into account. It can't be overlooked. If I'm if I'm a betting person, I think what's probably happening here is like to use Stellini's teenager metaphor, right? I think Conte needed to let his teenagers go out and become see if they could be adults potentially, right? And he was put to the sideline and had no choice but to let his teenagers go see if they could potentially play with the adults, right? He knows they can now. He can come back a little bit different of a manager, I think. And if that can happen, I think this can be a very positive thing, right? I, I, there is a real thing happening though when Conte is not there. The players are much more stiff when Conte is there, and it's something that I think is no longer like me just talking shit on a podcast. I really do think that it's happening, and I think Conte will have to consider that when he comes back. And again, he's a very intelligent man who has won everything, right? Um, uh, and, and I think he will be intelligent enough to see that maybe he can manage with a little bit uh, longer of a leash when he gets back from this stint away.
2: You know, I appreciate the human element that you brought up there, Scott. I think that there's definitely a lot to be said for what Antonio Conte will have the ability to learn from this time of of rest and reflection, Uh, especially given the amount of of turmoil and chaos that he suffered in just this season uh, of time from a human standpoint. Um, I think the one thing that we can't overlook is the fact that by and large, we're seeing a lot of youth in this squad go through growing pains. When you look at the betting in process that is required for a guy like Richarlison in a new team and the injuries that he's had, when you look at the fact that Cudi Romero, though an incredible talent, has probably played more games for Argentina in the last year than he has for Tottenham. Like when you look at the fact that Emerson Royale was fucking Musa Sissoko less than two weeks ago, yet here we are. Uh, or three weeks ago now. Sorry, Emerson. Uh, you know, when you when you look at all these things, you look at the fact that Deion Kulisevsky and, and Phil Foden are uh, three days apart or whatever in their age. Like uh, you, you look at this and you go, oh, shit, like these are kids. And these are kids getting a shot with guys like Skip and, and and Sar, like, coming into the lineup and showing out. Like, the maturation process that occurs for a young player in a Premier League season is something that I can only fathom a, a, in my mind. But it's got to be incredible and overwhelming and truly something that will test the mettle uh, of a man, Andrew.
1: I also think that it's 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 interesting to point out when you look back to before the Chelsea match when Christian Cellini was asked about Youngman's son not playing against West Ham and he kind of brought up that uh, son had a problem that he's had for some time and there's a conditioning thing and he needed he's needed time to recover and that there's a lot of games coming up and they need everybody at 100%. That's really interesting to me because when you think about it, oh yeah min Sun coming off of a golden boot season, has also now played like thousands upon thousands of minutes for club and country. There was a World Cup. Maybe it's not that surprising that Min Son is having what I would, what I would just flat call a crappy season. He's just having yeah. a bad season, and the fact that he's been on the bench the last two matches is maybe it shouldn't be that surprising. Oh, and when we think about Ivan Perisic a guy who is 30, what, five, thirty-six, something like that. Um, all the minutes that he's put on his legs throughout his career, and the fact that he's pretty much been the week-in, week-out starter at left wing-back, and now all of a sudden we get Ben Davis playing a little more left wing-back. Like, some of these changes that have been made, I would be really interested, if I could give truth serum to both Conte and Stellini, I would really be interested to know where these ideas came from, because it's like, is this not stuff that could have been done in January or in early December before the, you know, or excuse me, late December after the world cup or going back into November and October. Like, are these not things that could have been thought about? Are these reactionary things? Are these Stellini ideas? Are these moves that are necessary because of injury? They're all things that kind of get me thinking about what is the brain trust at within this coaching staff. And they're all things that I'm, interested in but I'm also not stressing about because it's where we are right now
2: yeah and I think that's a great point Kaz like again a lot of this had to do with like like season script like when we started out we were thinking Ryan Sessignon was going to be the guy and, and that you know we, we were excited to have somebody like Parisich in to, to spell him or mentor him or play in the big matches and let him do the heavy lifting throughout the season Um, I don't know I mean, you, you you look at a team like Spurs and a coaching unit like Conte's and with the way that Conte coaches just details upon details upon details first you can't you can't have that coaching staff and that team without their Becoming like this interwoven root system of the two. And I don't know how you separate that just by removing Conte. I think very much this is just a new plant out of the same root system. And we're, we're seeing kind of a new amalgamation of this Spurs team. And like I mentioned earlier in the pod, we're starting to peak. At just about the right time, we hung around the top four. We hung around the Champions League. We hung around the FA Cup. And here we are. And people are talking about three wins at home on the bounce. And people are talking about back-to-back Derby victories and back-to-back clean sheets under a backup goalkeeper. are starting to peak, Andrew, despite the injuries. And good things are coming.
1: And I, and, and all of that said, I'm still very nervous about the depth because of what's to come because of, of this being a season that had a world cup in the middle of it and being, uh, you know, an April fixture list. That God, your be...
2: pragmatism cup runneth over. It Fuck, does. I just
1: need to drink it from it. Goodness. Well, let me, let me get a little giddy because there is a guy that I, I've always wanted to come. What good a guy. God, he's starting to come good. Oliver skip scores his first goal for Spurs today. And holy shit, was it a goal? What a damn banger. Um That was, I had barely settled back into my seat at the pub this morning. I shout out to Fibber McGee's, Uh My father was in town this weekend from the East coast. He is, he is, he is a, he is a budding soccer fan, a budding Spurs fan. And I said, you know, it's an early match. It's six 30 out here in Arizona. Do you really want to, do you really want to go over, drive the 25 minutes over to the pub? It's cold. It's rainy. It's wet here today. And he's like, hell yeah, let's go. I want to see it. I want to see what you, what you do. I want to see. I was like, we can just watch the game at home. No, I want to go to the pub. So shout out to Fibbers. I had barely sat back into my chair with a second cup of coffee for the second half. And Oliver skips banging goals in and everything that happened right before half with the red card being rescinded all of that anguish and all of that kind of, pissed off if I can make up a word, just went right away when Oliver Skip just ripped the the ball into the back of the net. Caroline. This was, holy shit, this was thrilling.
0: Very thrilling. I mean, I can only name a few Spurs goals that have made me actually scream with joy since I've become a fan, and this was one of them. I think just because you know how much it means to him personally, you know, being a, a lifelong Spurs fan himself, Um, It was it was just heartwarming. And I feel like we've all been kind of waiting for him to have this moment since he broke into the team and there have been some, you know, obstacles along the way. He had his really successful loan season in Norwich, but we were all just kind of itching for him to get back to Spurs and, you know, show what he could do in the Premier League again. And then he had a really good half of a season and then that terrible injury, which got worse thanks to the medical team um and just being out for so long and just starting to get back and it's it's funny that it worked out well not funny but the fact that he's coming back from a long-term injury and he's only really getting this chance to break back in because Bentoncourt had his own long-term injury so I don't know it's it's kind of like a bittersweet kind of moment in the context of the full team but I'm I'm just happy that he's getting this chance to show what he can do. And I I don't think he always gets enough credit from fans for his attacking ability either. You know, I think he's someone who's, who's always trying to, you know, regain possession, find a progressive pass and yeah, I just want him to thrive. I love Skippy.
1: It's very, he's very, Hoyer esque in that way to me as well, which um, I, I don't say as a as a dig. I think it's a good thing, even though you've got two players that play kind of a similar. You know, they're 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 well built, sturdy. You know, midfielders that play in England that you don't look at and think, oh, well, there's an attacking midfielder, but they've got a little bit of that in their game, but they've also got a little bit of that. I'll stick my leg in and fuck you up if I have to in their mm-hmm. game as well scott like what i've been nervous about we've been talking about depth for, for for practically this whole podcast and practically this these last couple of weeks because of all the injuries i'm still nervous about this midfield but my god if Hoybier and skip and pop Sarr can come in to spell some of them uh, and Eve Basuma can maybe eventually make his way back this season i hope to give them a breather but man this midfield is humming right now and a lot of it as we've talked about has to do with those wingbacks as well but Man, Oliver Skip has been fun to watch these last few games.
3: Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the last show, but Skip, I think it wasn't so much that he was he was seen as depth. It was that he was a coming back from injury, but two up against Bentiker, who was first name on the team sheet, probably, right? So I said on the last show, the best thing that ever happened to Oliver Skip could be all could be Benteker going down, right? As much as I hate saying that, but I would say that. Skip is undroppable right now and I don't think it's like that surprising because we all know how talented he was but the one thing it's interesting you you say how Hoybier-esque he is and I agree but I was going to bring up that Skip does one thing that that Benteker does not do and that's give Hoybier a little bit of breathing room to operate and move around and and expand his positioning become expansive is, is what I was looking to say with his positioning right so Benteker does that himself. And when I say skip protects his partner, I'm not saying he sits there and defends. I'm saying he positioned his positioning is perfect all the time, right? And if you're perfectly in position yep. at all times, your partner doesn't have to be. That's how he protects his partner. So you guys know it. I'm a midfield nerd. I just sit there and I watch the midfield the whole game primarily. And when PEH and Benteker play together, they do not stay parallel, they both try to become expansive. And granted, yes, they've both been good, but we have not been good this year when they've been on the field together. We've won games, but we have come we've we've come out of games saying that ah, we didn't look very good. We can't progress the ball, blah, blah, blah. Right. Skippy comes in, we're progressing the ball really well. I think a lot of that is being in fucking position, right? It allows the fullbacks to operate a little bit more efficiently and and without room for error, right? Or with room for error. You understand my point? Um, and I, I think it can't be overlooked. So of course, Bentiker should play. Of course, P.A. should play. Of course, Skip should play. That's not my problem, right? I'm not saying that <laughs> Bentiker has been a problem, but my point is that Skip has come in and, and really short us up and it can't be overlooked. You
2: know, I absolutely love that point, Scotty. First off, I, I have to say um, I love that we have a midfield nerd on this podcast. It's rad, so never change, my guy. Um, secondly, I 100% agree. I... I've been waiting to make this point all day. I'm really excited to say it because it's something that I've thought for years is that Oliver skip is the player that everybody thought Harry Winks was. And he hundred percent is that and more. And the goal that he scored today is a goal that Harry Winks shaped up for about five times in his Tottenham career and either missed altogether or clanged off of the frame of the goal. Three of those times. And what I would say is that when that goal went in today, this wash – this like wave of just euphoria washed over me because first off, like so happy for Ollie Skip to battle back from such a gnarly injury, to overcome the Tottenham Hotspur training staff the way that he did is so commendable. And to be able to make it back onto the field and score a goal like that, his story arc made me so happy. Also, fuck Chelsea. So, like the combination of those two things was so incredible in that moment that uh though I didn't scream, it got like a real guttural like oh from me, and it was uh glorious. Happy for Skippy.
1: Well, look, we're not gonna erase Harry Winks's uh 56 yard banger against Ludigaretz uh from from, bro, from memory. But
2: bro, Skippy I did meant I... this. Skippy meant this.
1: But I did me, but I did mention last week or maybe the week before in talking about Oliver Skip that I feared that he was the next Harry Winks, Academy product, that kind of midfield build that has the injury stuff going on, and that was my fear. And all of a sudden, in a matter of weeks, those fears have not been completely alleviated, but they've been severely lifted. Because Oliver Skip looks like he's coming good. And if he can stay healthy, um, fingers crossed, this looks like it could be something, something, something going forward, which would be really, really cool to, to see. Um, after the skip goal, I got to be honest, and this kind of goes to what we were talking about at the top of the show. I felt really, really good. I felt really, really confident about this Same. match at 1-0. Um, I don't know if, if, if you all felt that way. But the one thing that I was kind of calling for was I wanted Youngman's son on a little earlier than he came on. And it's funny, Hyungmin's son comes on in the 79th minute, uh, surprisingly to me, for Kulosevsky and not Richarlison, because I thought Richarlison, while he had a good game, he did the Richarlison thing of running around and wearing people out, which is needed. Um, but w- w- there wasn't a lot of end product there. And then all of a sudden, Youngman's son comes on, delivers a, a, a corner that that tap-in merchant, Harry Kane, decides, uh, I'll, I'll score here and make this 2-0. So that obviously made it more comfortable, and then the final 10 minutes were what they were. But Harry Kane, what else can you say about, about this guy just scoring when he wants? Uh, Whose name that's is Harry Kane? All he does. That's all this guy does. Harry Kane, by the way, he's one of only two players to score 20 goals in each of the last nine seasons in all comps. Uh, for the big five European leagues. Uh, I'm going to give uh, Caroline the floor. Do you know who the other player is?
0: Lewandowski. That's
1: you the nailed one. that one. That's why I gave him <laughs> one. Some That's Polish pretty guy. good. That's pretty damn good, good company yeah. right there. That's pretty damn good <laughs> company right there. Uh, Harry Kane doing it uh, from a longevity standpoint and just, from a, just being at the right place at the right time. And credit to Eric Dyer, too, getting sure his head on right that place. corner. And and providing that assist for for Kane's goal to make it uh, like I said even more comfortable than it needed to be. Um, any anybody else we need to shout out for this game? Like I said, I, I thought uh, the, the Clement Longlace thing is still going to bother me a little bit. I think that there on. there can be more there, but other than that, go ahead, Todd. Emerson, man.
2: Emerson, thank you, yes, Scotty. We, I mentioned him earlier, again. but
1: I mentioned him earlier, but yes, let's give him more man, shine. He's so good, man. I'm not, I'm
3: that I say that with zero banter or sarcasm. Like, he is so fucking good and it's incredible. I I mean, obviously.
2: Like, does he deserve a jersey on your wall, Scotty? Like, is he, is he, is he, I'm just saying, like, is he Sissoko good? Is he, has he reached full circle? Maybe.
3: Not quite yet. He's got a little bit of work to do, but all
2: right.
3: No, honestly, he's like, I, I don't think that there's a single player he's gonna match up against and not body and, and outplay the entire game. I don't know what it is. He's so confident. He, he he must just be working his fucking ass off because that's the only way you become the best player on the field is you work harder than everyone else. Um and as a wingback 1000000 like, million dude,
2: dollar cryo chamber.
3: Yeah, dude, what he's doing it all, but like and the nice part is as a, a wing back, like you don't have to spend hours on your technical game. You just have to work your ass off and you have to do things the right way and be in the right space and make the right runs. Like, it's you can become a student of the game very, very easily in that position if you just want to work your fucking ass off. And I think that's what he's doing. Um, so, credit it, to Emerson. I fucking love that dude.
0: I feel like you also just described Ben Davis's like ethos as a player. And yes. that's why he's.
2: Hey, big fucking shout. Hold on. Hold on, big fucking shout to Ben Davis. 300 appearances in a Tottenham Hotspur kit today. Holy shit. Mr. 6.5, Andrew, busted a 7.7 today. And think about this. He's been doing a lot
1: more 7.7-ing than 6.5-ing of late, let's be honest.
2: (laughs) These are facts. Since Conte got got there.
1: And the
3: thing about Davies that I talk about it all the time, it's so easy to forget that for two of our greatest seasons ever as a club, he played half the matches like Danny Rose was was down for chunks of every single season. Like when we when we secured 86 points, I might be I might be daring enough to say that Ben Davies may have had more minutes in that Premier League season of 86 points than Danny Rose did as a fucking wingback. So let's not forget that. Right. We always played in a back three that year. Ben Davies is smart as shit. As, as Kaz pointed out, he's a very intelligent footballer. He really puts a lot of time into crafting the, the, that side of his game, right? All sides of his game, but, but every single player in interviews I've ever heard says Ben Davies is dead-on coach in the future, right? He'll manage, he'll manage for sure, blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm very, very intrigued by our wingbacks right now. And If somebody asks me who's, who's one left wingback and one right wingback, it's Emerson and Davies, and then everyone else is dead at this point. I, I don't – Well, I don't what is Andrew always
0: saying – that availability is your best ability so there you go Then davis well
2: well
3: yeah said. tell tell that to ryan Sussnion.
1: tell that to you know These are facts t- yeah, yeah it's a, it's unfortunate but it's true the other thing that we needed to address in this is is a, a is how a,
2: fucking a, handsome ben davies is i don't well, disagree with you in the least i'll
1: My address that couldn't. any day of the week but specifically Sir. specifically Sir. the other question is is about the set pieces because if you're going to have Perisic and Son on the bench like has happened. I mean, we saw where the set-piece goal came from today. It came from a Sun corner. We know Perisic has delivered uh, on the set-pieces all season long, specifically on the corners. Um, and a lot of this can go to, to the set-piece coaching. I mean, this is the team that scored the most set-piece goals uh, in the Premier League this season. Are we – how comfortable are we, or I should say how nervous are we, that if it's more Ben Davis and Richarlison in place of those two guys – that the goals can keep coming from open play. Obviously the Oliver skip goal came from open play today. um, But how does that put us in a, in a, in a tight spot in terms of producing offensively? Because let's be honest, this team did not hum offensively today. It's not like they produced uh, a full two goals of XG um, and they were not controlling possession. They were not dominating the ball and dominating the game against Chelsea, but they're playing their style and doing what they do. And it was comfortable throughout but are we nervous at all about the offensive output if if that's going to be the case for a match like this
2: i mean no because i think that this this game went directly to script take it goalless tight to halftime around there capitalize on the chances when you get them bring on your subs shut up shop get a couple of set piece opportunities and finish it seems like the conte stellini approach Worked to a T. I I don't, it's this is the way that we've played all year long. Like, none of this is surprising.
0: Can I just ask, do any of y'all remember who took the three corners other than the one that we scored off of? Because I cannot.
3: (laughs) Uh,
1: Give me a second. Kulosevsky definitely took um, at least one of them.
2: I imagine Decky takes at least the left foot ones. I, it wouldn't surprise me if 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 he also took the right footed ones, but I, I don't know. I mean, it would like I know he's the set piece
1: taker for Sweden a lot of the time, so
2: yeah, I can't remember
3: if he took all the ones the besides son, but it
1: wasn't Emerson Royale. I can tell you that I know that much. No, I love him, it and and we just spent time <laughs> pra- we just spent time praising him, so I can get the little dig in that we're not going to be rolling on him to cross the ball, but it was definitely Deke from the from from the left footed standpoint for a left footed inswinger. Um, mm. but yeah, I mean, there, there are options, honestly, I know it sounds stupid, but like if, if we could just clone a Harry Kane and have him cross the ball to himself, that would be good too. Um, I'd be Indeed. down with that, but no, uh, I mean, I, Todd, I I think your point is, is valid. I think this has always been a team that I even said to you watching the game this morning, I said, just soak up this pressure, get us to halftime scoreless and go from there uh, because that's what you need to do if you're this club. This club is well conditioned, it is well trained. They do not tire late in matches. You saw the way that they 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 were able to see out that game. It was um workmanlike. It was it was it was businesslike the way that they got the goal, sat on the lead, uh got more possession in the second half than the, than they had to have in the first half in order to dictate the the flow and the pace and all of that worked. All of that was good. So it doesn't make me super Amen. nervous, but I, I definitely want that option off the bench. I definitely want that 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 sure. sun and parasitch ability to come off the bench and, and put us in a position for sure.
2: Sure. And our bench is sideways, Cass. Like I mean, if you look at it, it's really, really good when you go, you know, Poro, Sun, Danjuma, Parasitch, Sar, Lucas Mora, if you need a little bit of magic. Um <laughs> No, I, I, I don't know. Andrew, I, I look at this and I go, when you look at the way that Tottenham is constructed and the way that Tottenham does business and the fact that there was a fucking World Cup in the middle of the season, you set yourself up in a way to where you had a choice. And we talked it before the break. You, you had a choice as to how you wanted to set yourself up. We set ourselves up, contrary to Newcastle, we set ourselves up to peak at the end of the season okay that's the way that we conditioned that's the way that we staffed our team that's the way that we sent our people out on loan that's the way that we did all of the things was to be good now and later like now this time of the year and and
1: going forward and the navigation of all of those things is going to be important obviously
2: well and this is the point is you're going to have you knew you were going to have injuries you didn't know where they were going to come Fortunately, everybody came back from the World Cup healthy, but then immediately got hurt. So, like, you knew that this stuff was coming, and how you were going to navigate that changed everything. Well, let me tell you, after this match today, in going forward, we've set ourselves up very nicely to have a very strong position in meaningful matches late in the season. And as a Tottenham Hotspur fan, that's all you can ask.
0: I was just going to bring up that we haven't talked about Gianni Vio in a long time, and I think this is a great opportunity for him to remind us of how valuable he was in that first part of the season. You know, perhaps we don't always have our preferred corner takers on the pitch, so in those situations where we are getting corners or free kicks, how can we be more creative about taking them, you know, taking some short corners? getting other people involved that aren't normally involved in the set pieces. So time for him to earn his keep again, I suppose. Um, But I do think it's worth acknowledging that Sun actually is really good at taking corners. I think there were times in the first part of the season when people were kind of like, oh, I don't want Sunny taking corners anymore. We've got Parasic now. And you know, I'm team Parasic too, don't get me wrong. But yeah, put some respect on Sunny's corners.
1: Yeah, the comparisons earlier in the season to Christian Eriksen never beating the first man was a little tough.
0: Yeah, I'm um, like, what game are you watching?
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, no, that's, first that's off, fair. just
2: just just real quick,
1: since his name came
2: up, and I wasn't gonna bring this up, but since his name came up, then you know that he's like my guy. Shout out to Christian Eriksen for standing on the pitch, holding a league cup in a fucking boot today for Manchester United. Always,
1: always love, always love Christian Eriksen. We can, we can, we can leave it there. I'm not gonna get too bent out of shape about uh, him, him having some glory. That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but we are still looking up at that lot uh, at Manchester United. Um, and, and I think that's kind of where we, we need to wrap this talk about the men's team before we move on to uh, talking about the women's team and, and, and all the stuff going on with them because Spurs right now do still sit forth because of that Newcastle United team not playing this weekend because they were in the league cup. Um, and so they're now four points clear of Newcastle United, despite Newcastle having two games in hand. Now there is still a match between the two. Uh, it's, it's an away match for Spurs. So a lot still to be determined with this race for the top four and a lot of season left still too. where uh, if my math is correct, still not even quite three quarters of the way through the season, but, um, but it is getting down to almost like being able to see the finish line and and, and having to start sprinting toward it. So, um, That is something to, to start thinking about as we start racking up these Premier League matches and FA Cup and Champions League still, uh, you know, the hand is in the cookie jar for, for a lot of different things here uh, for Spurs still so that is nice to see but um, I, I don't know I am t- to Todd's point, you know, Spurs are set up right now as long as the depth holds and as long as the injuries don't come for them they are set up to make a run at this and teams like Newcastle and teams like Fulham. And I know Liverpool have been uh, Liverpooling a little bit lately too. Um, Brighton is still there. I don't think we need to think about Chelsea anymore. They're, they're all the way down there in 10th, but there is a lot still to play for with these teams now looking up their way at Spurs, which is kind of nice. Um, You know, games in hand are nice, but they have still have to be won. Uh, Spurs know all about that and they did that last year when they had the games in hand Uh, now they're the the one being chased with with games in hand by the team behind them so it will be um, it will be interesting to see all of that play out there's like I said there's still a lot of time left but uh, I'm looking forward to that chase down the stretch along with an FA Cup and hopefully still Champions League campaign uh, to be played out as we look forward again Sheffield United this Wednesday and I will, uh, I will give a shout out to, I did a little preview with the Sheffield United uh, podcast, red half of Sheffield. If you want to go check them out, uh, we, I, I talked to them earlier today about that match on Wednesday, looking forward. That's a team that, um, by the way, I am nervous about that match. That's a team that is playing well this season. They are second right now in the championship, looking at an automatic promotion. They're, they're probably not going to catch Burnley for the, for the title down there, but uh, they are they are a, an interesting team that is likely going to be back up in the Premier League next season. So Wednesday is no gimme. Uh, a trip to the Molyneux is no gimme on Saturday. And then it's uh, turned around next week for AC Milan and Nottingham Forest. So the, the games are, you know, they're coming <laughs> and, and, and cool. Spurs, Spurs have got to hold that depth.
3: Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I think, you know, I know I know today feels good and it should feel good and we should celebrate it, but we have some big matches coming up and there's a, there's a lot of difficult questions that are going to be asked of this team. I think the Wolves game is very tricky because Sheffield is a big match and AC Milan is a huge match. If we don't get through the round of 16, it really hangs a cloud over this over what we have to play for still. I think there's a lot of investment in the Champions League right now from the players. Um, it's a big match, and that 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 puts a lot of emphasis on Wolves because we need to get three points from Wolves, and how we do that is going to be one of those very big questions that will be asked of the club.
2: Well, I don't know, man. The Wolves are in 15th right now. Uh, you know, they always draw. a tough game for us, always. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, the Molyneux in February or March, you know, is never fun. I don't disagree with that. Um, Yeah, just generally speaking, Wolverhampton in that time of year is just some place it's past. Uh, Listen, going to Bramall Lane is fucking no party for anybody, right? Like, that's not going to be a good time. And I think everybody's well aware of that. But... I also think that people are well aware of the fact that it wasn't Newcastle that raised the trophy today, Uh, and the fact that the FA Cup is still something that Spurs, if Spurs lifted the FA Cup this season, I feel like we've positioned ourselves to where top four is something that we can say that, uh, not that we're comfortably going to get, but that we're comfortably in the conversation for a top four spot and will be all the way down the stretch. I think um if we raised an FA Cup, regardless of what happens in Champions League, if we raised an FA Cup this year and got top four, I think that this season would be celebrated for years.
1: Massive success. Oh, absolutely. It'd
3: be huge. Massive
2: success without a doubt.
1: I think so, all I'm
3: saying, if by putting so much emphasis on AC Milan is why are we competing for top four if, if we don't put everything into that match
2: no I certainly listen we've got everything to play for they're coming they're coming to to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and we get the opportunity to come from a goal down to 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 have a spectacular European night but mo- what I think can't be overlooked here is the fact that I don't think that any of us with our pragmatic glasses on can look at the Champions League as a more winnable trophy for us this season than the FA Cup okay based off of who's left and what the draw looks like in the next round of the FA Cup you understand what I'm talking about Cas? we got a legitimate chance of making some noise late in this competition The being the FA Cup. I feel like if we have the ability to have a a fantastic European night against AC Milan and make it to the next round of the Champions League, we're probably going to get somebody like Bayern Munich. And I don't want to have to seven to talk about what we're talking about here. Uh, So (laughs) realistically, uh, I'm looking at the FA Cup as an opportunity for us to regain some of that glory that Tottenham Hotspur so desperately needs this year, Andrew. And I'd love to see the team look at
1: it the same way. No question about it. Uh, FA Cup still going for Spurs men. On the women's side, however, uh, came to a crashing halt with a penalty shootout defeat to Reading this morning on Sunday. And as we mentioned, um, unfortunately, Caroline, this match couldn't be seen by viewers in the United States. So I don't know how much you would even have to say about it. Um, but I want to give you the floor to say it anyhow, because um, for some reason we're still in a world where uh, these matches are not being broadcast fairly and equally everywhere. Uh, and that, is, uh, that, that, that kind of sucks. But, but what do you want to say about uh, what happened this morning for, uh, for Spurs women?
0: Well, I will briefly say that it does really frustrate me that at a time when the women's game should be growing, the FA is not showing all of the games in the round before the quarterfinals. I feel like that's just something very basic that they could do and are not doing. But anyway, hard to comment too much on a game I did not actually see. I am going to watch the replay when it comes out tomorrow. But my sources, uh, that being my podcast co-host from N17 Women said that basically we were back to kind of how we looked pre-Beth England. So notably, Beth England was not in the squad today. It, it turns out that she picked up a knock in the Manchester United game, and that's really as much info as we have. So who knows if she'll be back for the Manchester City game? I really hope so. <laughs> um, because it, it appears that we're back to you know, creating plenty of chances, but just not having that clinical finishing that Beth has really brought into the team and you know Reading that was very clearly their game plan it's been their game plan every time we played them two times prior this season you know just low block don't don't let us get into the goal that was their strategy they wanted to get to penalties they did and it paid off um, because we missed one of ours and sometimes that just happens it's really unfortunate you know it's not necessarily that Winning the FA Cup was ever a realistic prospect for Spurs women because you still have Chelsea, you know, in the competition. They knocked out Arsenal. But, you know, obviously we've had trouble getting past Chelsea in league games. So it is what it is. Um, The one really, really great silver lining from today is that Kit Graham came back from injury. Um, You know, she's out for, I think, about 15 months now. Uh, which sounds crazy <laughs> um, from her ACL injury. She's finally back. And from what I hear, she played really well. You know, she actually had an opportunity to score late on in the game. And, of course, we're not going to dig her out because it's her first game back in 15 months. But she, I think, is going to be really important, you know, heading into this last stretch of the season. Um, you know, it's just injuries. This whole season has been the story of of the ups and the downs with Spurs women.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. And some of those downs also came in leading up to this FA Cup match with, again, we get to kind of pick on the FA and, and whatever the hell happened there. Can you, can you take us through this decision following the Manchester United match with involving Ella Toon and her red card being rescinded? And, uh, I just, I don't know how we get to where we are, but, but here we are,
0: it's it's maddening, honestly. Essentially what happened is that Ella Toon had her red card rescinded. She escapes, scot-free, no punishment. And Evelina Simonin is now serving a two-match ban for, I think the, the word was, successful deception of a referee. Uh, so yeah, not something that you typically see applied certainly in the men's game where not something i've heard of it.
1: like isn't that isn't well, that kind yes. <laughs> of the goal <laughs> aren't you exactly. trying to sell fouls and and stuff like that not even that i think that's not even that that's what happened in this instance i thought it was an actual
0: yeah.
1: instance of a of a, of a of a shove in the face but my goodness
0: yeah it's 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 a very tricky one because you know the contact was clearly there from Ella Toon, it was intentional, she was not making a play on the ball, so the fact that her red card was rescinded is baffling in itself. Um, but I, I just don't see how you can objectively say that Evelina's intent was to deceive the referee. It's it's just a whole can of worms that they've opened up now. And a standard that I'm I'm pretty sure we're not going to see applied fairly. You know, you're not going to see if, if this situation had been reversed, this would not be happening. It's just the truth. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked about it with this incident in the, the men's game earlier. It's, it's a case of referees being undermined. And I don't think that's going to help with the refereeing quality crisis across, you know, the whole of English football it's these referees like we know sometimes they are not good enough, but they're also not being supported very well at the same time. So
1: it doesn't, it can't help. It can't help the confidence to make tough calls uh, when the speed of the game is, is, is higher and, and the quality of the players all around is better. It's just, it's, it's really difficult. Um, But as you said, Spurs women next in action, Manchester city uh, on Sunday. So Uh, that will be something to look forward to. And now it's kind of just, uh, improve, improve the league table position from, from here. You're, you're three points clear of Leicester, who, uh, still sit in that relegation spot. Um, and go from there get, get yourself as many points, gobble up as many points as you can in the league and, and make sure you're safe and go from there. Right.
0: Yeah. And then I think just regroup in the summer. Um, You know, for my other podcast, we actually interviewed Ash Neville this past week. And one of the things she talked about was wanting to keep the core of the team intact through the summer, which we have not always done in past years. Um, Just because I think she said it was taking a long time to get everyone gelling. And, you know, when you've got teams of the caliber that some of the other teams in the league are, you just don't have that time. So.
1: Yeah, and you really buried the lead there. Uh, go listen to N17 Women for the, for for your guys interview with Ash Neville. Like how how freaking cool is that? Uh go check that out and, and so awesome. And, and for more info obviously on uh, on the match that that they played today which you guys will get to talk about uh this week on your newest podcast. So go check out N17 Women for more on Spurs Women. Um as we said, uh, on the men's side, it's it's Sheffield, it's Wolves, and then, yeah, as, as Todd kind of alluded to earlier, um, some of us are heading out to London next week for the Champions League game and for the Forest game, so there's going to be a lot more content coming your way here at Tottenham Depot. Uh, we're going to see what we can do in terms of some video content, lots of photographs. Uh, we're going to be pumping it all out uh, over the next week, week and a half, and, and uh, some of us are so if, if you are a listener over in London and going to be at either of those games, let us know, reach out. We would love to, uh, to share in some revelry and some good times while over uh, in attending some of these games. Some of us are, are going to be having a time and, uh, and enjoying Spurs in person over the next handful of games. So uh, let us know. Yeah. Um, where we- should
2: we go? What should we do? Where should we eat? Where should we drink? Who should we hang out with? We want to know what you have to think. If you if, wait, what you have to say if you live there tell us what we need to know
1: well we will be back with a podcast next weekend and then uh and the following weekend as we do every weekend here um leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice because uh that is how you spread the word of the show and uh be sure to follow us at Tottenham depot as i said reach out uh, where some of us are going to be uh popping out there and, and having a time so
2: yeah, if you're listening to this, hold on. If you're listening to this and you don't follow us on Twitter, just ask yourself what you're doing with your life. You've made it all the way to this point in time in the podcast and you don't follow us on Twitter. Like You have some questions to ask yourself.
1: Well, not only that, but if you if you do follow us on Twitter and you haven't told at least three friends this week to go follow us on Twitter because they are also Spurs fans and they would enjoy our content, <laughs> also what are you doing with your life? That's how we grow this thing. That's how we spread the word. That's how... Uh, all of this works. So go do that as well. Uh, And until next week, uh, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always come on you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott bird for our intro music,
2: as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, really makes this happen supporters make this club and you the listener are what make this podcast possible be sure to follow us on twitter at tottenham depot and as always come on you spurs